Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fourth Sunday and the final Sunday of Kiyach before the glorious feast of the Nativity. And it is fitting uh, that before we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we celebrate the birth of the forerunner, John the Baptist. And the readings of this Sunday are like amazing, because they contain a very, very special message that I want us to focus on and remember. And that is that the end of the law, of, it is the end of the era of the law. The era of the law has ended now. And the beginning of the era of grace is about to start, the era of grace. And we see this in the gospel in many ways, the beginning of the era of grace. When Zacharias and Elizabeth go to name their child on the eighth day, they go to name him John. And the family starts to question the judgment of Elizabeth and says, what are you doing naming him John? There is no one in your family by this name. In in other words... Like what I was thinking about it, according to the law, according to the custom, his name should not be John. But what these family members did not realize is that the era of the law, the era of the custom, the era of all these things was ending. And the commencement of the era of grace was soon arriving. And then the scholar like Origen, he goes even deeper into, into this idea. And he points out something fascinating. He says the name Zacharias means God remembers. God remembers. It kind of sounds like maybe Arabic. And he says remembering, when you remember something, this relates to something that is absent. When you remember someone, it's because we remember those who passed away because they are not present with us. But he says the name John, the name John means the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. This is about the era of grace. The Lord is gracious. And the Lord God is gracious signifies pointing to. And it means that something is present now. So Zacharias remembers or reminds us that God was absent And St. John reminds us that God is present. It was St. John who pointed and said, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Also, I want you to notice that Zacharias was mute, and he was not able to speak, and his tongue was bound. But when he came to announce the birth of his child, and the child's name John, that God is gracious, what happened to his tongue? His tongue was, his tongue was loosed. And this is symbolic of the law of grace. In the law of grace, in the, like now, we are free. In the era of the law, we were bound. We were condemned. But in the era of grace, we were set free. And that's why, if you go to the reading of the Acts of the Apostles today... Annie, I wish you guys pay attention to all the readings and focus and meditate on the readings. If you pay attention in the reading of the Acts today, you'll see that we read a part of the speech that St. Stephen said before he was martyred. And in that speech he said, But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, 
He's reminding the people of the promise that God gave to Abraham. And what was the promise he was referring to? It was the promise of deliverance. It was the promise of salvation. It was the promise of the promised land. There was a land called the promised land. And this promise was fulfilled or started to be fulfilled with the birth of a child named Moses. Moses. And similarly, the promise of God for our deliverance and our salvation, it came close by the birth of another child named John. St. John. That's why we're talking about St. John today. And that is why Zacharias, in his prophecy, he spoke about deliverance. All of the prophecy, if we can go and see the, the prophecy, if you can put it on the screen. The prophecy of Zacharias is all about deliverance. And it has two parts in this prophecy. The first part of the prophecy of Zacharias speaks about the Lord. The second part and speaks about God. The second part of the prophecy, he prophesies about his son, St. John. So let's read the second part first, and then we'll meditate on the first part after. And as we read through the prophecy, I want you to notice the theme of redemption. Notice the theme of deliverance. Notice the theme of promise that's present in, in, in his prophecy. We'll read the second part first. It starts, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercies of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And what's amazing about this prophecy is that Zechariah recognizes something different about this deliverance in comparison to the deliverance that happened in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the deliverance meant from slavery, from worldly slavery. And he could have thought of deliverance from deliverance. Oh, he's going to save us from the Roman occupation that's happening here. But that's not the deliverance that Zacharias had in mind. And he makes it very clear which type of deliverance he's speaking about. He's talking about the deliverance from... Deliverance from... Sin. From sin. He's speaking specifically about sin. And he also says, anyone... Like he reminds us that anyone who is living in sin, as we say in the liturgy, is sitting in darkness. And in the shadow of death. And what a miserable state to be in. Is to be in a state of sin is a miserable state to be in. The shadow of death, anybody want to be in the shadow of death? That's such a, a miserable state to be in. But it was through the era of grace. It is through the day spring, which he mentions. The day spring means the start of day. It's the sun coming up. It is the dawn. It is, and our Lord Jesus Christ, He is the Son of Righteousness. Son, S-U-N. Son, giving light of righteousness. As St. John says in his epistle, the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Welcome to the era of grace. Welcome to the era of grace. And so that was the second part of the prophecy. Let's go to the first part of the prophecy. This part addressed to God. 
Zechariah says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. What is the horn of salvation that Zacharias is speaking about? Arfin, what the horn of salvation is? The horn that is mentioned here is not a horn like a, a musical instrument horn. The horn that he's speaking of is like a, an animal horn. And so the horn is, if you think about it, it is a protrusion from the head. It extends from the head. And St. John Chrysostom and St. Cyril, they see this horn, horns in general, as a symbol of power, as a symbol of glory, a symbol of honor. That's why when you see like a deer and it has massive horns, you're like, wow, that is a powerful animal. The horns are a symbol of power and authority. And just as horn, as I said, is an extension of the mind, it protrudes out from the flesh and it has the ability to poke. The kingdom of God now, the kingdom of God has now protruded into the world. The kingdom of God has been extended to all mankind. And that's why, if you look back at the Old Testament, when Moses was instructed to build an altar... The altar had something very special at its corners. It had horns at its corners. Every altar, or the altar in the tabernacle, had horns at the altar. And the horns were very special because they were a place of forgiveness and redemption. If you remember when Solomon and his half-brother, he wanted to become king and they had started to fight... His brother, he decided to go to the only safe place he could think of, and that was the horns of the altar. So anybody who was scared for their life, they used to go and hold onto the horn of the altar, and they would know, if I'm holding on to the horn of the altar, I will be safe. And now, this horn of the altar... Yanni, if you think about it, in the Old Testament, how many horns of the altar are there? Four. And that horn is only located in one place. It's in the, in, the, in the tabernacle or in the temple. That's the only place. But now that horn, now, has been extended to all mankind. Each person now has access to the altar and to hold on to the horn of salvation and to receive grace and to receive mercy and to receive forgiveness. Let's continue. He says, and as he spoke by the mouth of his holy as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath with which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. 
This is the take-home message for today. If you are sleeping or in darkness, now is the time to wake up. The take-home message is that since we are in the era of grace and have been delivered from the hands of the enemies, now we should serve Him. Now we should live for Him all the days of our life. That's why the Catholic epistles stress this point very much. And there was one word that was mentioned in the Catholic epistle six times. One word mentioned in the Catholic epistle six times today. It was the word abide, abide. You also will abide in the Son and in the Father, but you have an anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. And He kept speaking about abide, abide, abide. Abide means to stay, to remain, to be fixed. At the end of the Catholic epistle, we say, He who does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. And the Pauline epistle today from Romans 9 also stresses this point. To abide in Him. Because you are living in the era of grace, you need to live in Him. You need to live in Him. You need to abide. You need to dedicate your life to Him. But the the Pauline epistle takes a different approach. And in this chapter of Romans, St. Paul He compares and he says there are vessels for honor and there are vessels for dishonor. And he says there are vessels for mercy and there will be vessels for wrath. What would make someone become a vessel of honor or to become a vessel of mercy or someone to become a vessel of dishonor and a vessel for wrath? What would be the difference between them? Which vessel are you? Are you a vessel of honor or are you a vessel for dishonor? And why would there be a difference between the two? How, what's the difference between the two? One accepts grace, one rejects grace. And that's why St. Paul, he quotes a very difficult verse from the Old Testament. He says, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. God, can you hate anyone? What does it mean that God hates Esau? What does it mean that God hates Esau? We know that God does not hate his creation. Hate is like hyperbole. It's a hyperbole in the scripture. But why does God even use these terms to speak about it and like loving Jacob and hating Esau? You know, God's creation is good. God doesn't hate his creation. God loves his creation. But why does God love Jacob and he have this this very strong word against Esau? It's because Esau and Pharaoh, who's mentioned in Romans chapter 9, They are types. They are representative of the people who reject the grace of God. Who reject the grace of God. Both Esau and Pharaoh, they got what they deserved. They got what they deserved. Esau took for granted his inheritance. He rejected the grace that was given to him. He was the right, like, he was the firstborn. 
But he rejected the grace. And that's why Hebrews chapter 12, St. Paul goes after Esau very hard. He says, let no one of you, awa, to be zay Esau, kida. He says, awa, to be a fornicator like Esau, or unspiritual like Esau, who for a single meal sold his rights as the older son. He rejected the grace of God. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. He keeps seeing the wonders and the miracles of uh, you know, the plagues and, and all of these things. And he keeps hardening time and time and time again. So both Esau and Pharaoh, they got what they deserved as a result of their terrible choices. And St. John Chrysostom, he says something very nice. He said, God made us holy. God made us holy. But we must continue to be holy. We must continue to be holy. That is our choice. Some people, they might say, well, that's not fair. Did God create like vessel for honor and dishonor and, and that these people didn't have a choice and people like Judas, they didn't have a choice and all of these people, they didn't have choice and they were just created to be vessels for dishonor? No, that is not, that is not the way we understand this passage. These people were like were had the ability to choose rightly but God in their foreign, in his foreknowledge knew that they would choose wrongly and and even though he knew they would choose wrongly he still provided more and more mercy do you see that it reminds me of what we see in nature like in the laws of physics you know we have something called friction and friction that opposes motion. It opposes motion. But ironically, if there was no friction, like there's no friction today, it makes it very difficult to, to drive your car. It makes it very difficult to move. And in the same, maybe in the same way, when people opposed God's mercy, God found ways to give even more mercy. He found ways to give even more mercy and to extend the horn and to extend His grace. Of course, you cannot like, avoid this, this life of mercy and grace and be like Esau and, and Pharaoh. It would be like someone who locks himself in a room and then says and turns out all the lights and puts blinds on the window and then says... Why is it so dark in this room? Where all the, where's the light? And this is what Esau and Pharaoh did. They lock themselves in room. And this is what many people, they do in this day and age. And they lock themselves in rooms and live in darkness. And they feel trapped in a dark room that they can't get out of. But the key to getting out is to open the blinds. <laughs> Let the grace of God enter your life. Repent. Experience the forgiveness of God and forgive yourself. Come into the life. This is the era of grace. This is the era of grace. As we get ready to celebrate the era of grace, look at like the beginning of the gospel is actually the best conclusion. 
the beginning of the gospel is the best conclusion. All of the people, they were getting together to celebrate. And they were getting to celebrate what? It says, when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. This is what we are celebrating today. We are celebrating the mercy. We are celebrating the grace of God. I pray that we all come and we reach and extend to the horn of the altar and experience this grace in our life. And glory be to God forever. Amen.